Hi, welcome to episode 649 of the Fantastic Forecast. I'm Dave Elliott, broadcasting live from my wine cave. Okay, there's no wine, but there is a lot of Dr. Pepper. And it's not a cave, it's my parents' basement. Every week on the Fantastic Forecast, I'll be talking about a different issue of the Fantastic Four. Starting with issue one and going all the way to the final issue, or until I get tired and give up, which will most likely be in a few episodes. On this episode, it's Fantastic Four Volume 6, number 14, released in September 2019. Point of Origin, Part 1, Wanderlust, written by Dan Slott and art by Paco Medina. The issue begins at the National Air and Space Museum in Washington, D.C., where they keep the Wright Brothers plane and the Apollo 11 command module, and now they have a new exhibit. It's that crappy rocket ship that failed and crashed and gave the Fantastic Four their powers. I'm not quite sure it belongs with these other two items. Maybe this would be best for a Ripley's Believe It or Not museum. Anyway, the members of the Fantastic Four, along with Alicia, Franklin, and Valeria, are on hand to cut the ribbon on this new exhibit. The guy working there calls it Mankind's Most Successful Crash. Mankind's second most successful crash, by the way, is the crash of John Denver's homemade airplane. What, too soon? So they cut the ribbon and proceed to sign autographs and take selfies with what appears to be a very small number of fans who are attending the event. Later, things clear out, like five minutes later. This exhibit just opened, and it is not drawing a crowd at all. Reed says he can't believe he kept the rocket in storage for so long. Franklin and Valeria don't seem impressed. Reed refers to the ship by a name, which I've never heard before. He calls it Marvel One. Okay, that is a way, way too on the nose. So stupid. Alicia touches the ship and says that it's nice to connect with a piece of Ben's past like this. Smooth to the touch, even along its imperfections, she says, seeming impressed. If she likes a smooth rocket, she married the wrong guy, Ben realizes that he's surrounded by all these airplanes and spaceships flown by the greatest pilots of all time. And then there's his ship, which he crashed. Wah, wah. Nearby, a kid with his mother sees the thing, and he says, Check out that monster! I thought it was animatronic, but it's like a monster, for real! Wait, how does he not recognize the thing? While at a big giant event celebrating the Fantastic Four! You know, this has always irked me about the Fantastic Four. Depending on the writer, they go back and forth between being famous and being like little-known freaks. And yet, in this very issue, they're opening an exhibit at the Smithsonian, and some random kid doesn't even recognize the thing. Uh, I guess he doesn't follow him on Instagram. I think Ben needs to make some uh, TikTok videos or something to increase his visibility. As part of the exhibit, they have a recording of the black box from the crashed ship, which you can push a button and hear. Ben hits play. This leads into a bit of flashback as we see and hear the crash of the rocket. And at one point, someone says, Ben was right. We should have waited. Should have gotten heavier shielding. At least this was good for Ben's ego. It would be funny if someone said, Johnny was right. We should have gotten another pilot. That would go over well. Alicia implores Ben to stop listening. 
That was the past. She says, We have a beautiful future to look forward to. Yeah, a beautiful future of having sex only once a year. Uh, I guess that's not much different from any other marriage. But then, uh, guess who shows up? This is crazy. I never thought about these people before. Now that Reed was developing that rocket for the government, Reed stole his own rocket. But there were other people slated to take that rocket up as well, and that's who shows up now. It's Colonel Duke Dukeman and Captain Sandy Sanders. Oh, their nicknames. Also, kind of on the nose, don't you think? Johnny apologizes to them. He and Sue were the ones who took Duke and Sandy's spots on the ship. But Duke and Sandy are like, oh no, no problem. They're glad they didn't go up on that ship. Sandy says uh, there was a chance that she could have ended up a monster like the thing. Johnny gets mad and he's like, take that back, Ben's a hero. Sue tells him to calm down. Later, we see them all flying home in the big flying bathtub with Ben expressing surprise that Duke and Sandy showed up. Later that night, Sue wakes up in bed and finds Reed working on his tablet with some holographic design stuff. He apologizes for waking her up, but she says it's okay and she snuggles up to him. I'm the exact opposite. If I'm in bed with someone and they wake me up, I'm like, how dare you sneeze in the middle of the night. I've had enough. I'm sleeping on the sofa. Next, we see Johnny, Johnny, who probably can't sleep, up on the roof looking at the stars. He flames on, flies to the air, and he's looking at two large stars in the particular. He remembers how Reed told him before the original ill-fated, ill-fated, ill-fated flight, say that fast, that the stars were a binary solar system 44 light years away. And that is where they were going to go on that original flight. Ugh, what is Dan Slot doing? The FF are going into space, into orbit, to beat the Russians, into orbit, not traveling to some distant solar system. Instead of outright contradicting the work of Lee and Kirby, why not just leave well enough alone and just gloss over the original purpose of the trip? This leads into another flashback to a similar scene that we've seen before. Reed at the chalkboard, going over equations for the trip with Sue, Johnny, and Ben. Only now, this buck guy and Sandy lady are there as well. It just seems so unlikely. If these two Nimrods were such an important part of the origin story, that it would take 649 issues for them to finally appear. Ben warns Reed that the flight plan takes them through the Van Allen belt, filled with cosmic radiation. Reed assures Ben that the ship's shields are strong enough to take it. At this point, Johnny butts in and says that he wants to come too and asks to be training to be trained as a pilot. This must be really infuriating to Sandy and Buck, who are highly trained pilots, I assume. At this point, Johnny is noticeably under tw 18 years old. Yet, Reed agrees to let Johnny train anyway. Anything to impress Sue, I suppose. I don't think Duke and Sandy are impressed. By the way, I mocked their names earlier, but as I go through this issue, I actually remember their names, which often I d that doesn't happen. So good job on uh, on the writer Jim Slat. What was his name again? We see Johnny training, obstacle course, studying the mechanics of the rocket, sitting in a flight simulator, wearing a spacesuit, 
underwater, sitting in one of those high-gravity chairs that spins around like in Moonraker. Next, we see Johnny graduating from his training, getting his wings on his uniform from Ben. Sandy and Duke are like, he's our backup pilot? Oh, come on. He's in his late teens, for sure. The perfect age for flying experimental aircraft across the universe. So later, also in the middle of the night, lots of shit happening in the middle of the night, Alicia gets up to take a piss and runs smack into a wall and yells out in pain. Everyone comes running in and Reed apologizes. Turns out he needed more room for one of his projects, so he decreased the size of the residential area to increase his lab size. Alicia is blind and she's like, you can't keep changing the floor plan on me, okay? This is insanely rude by Reed, especially considering she owns the place. This was her building they took over. She should be like, do it again and I'll kick your ass out on the street. You would think, given the situation, Reed should consult with Alicia before he makes changes to the layout of her building. Johnny comes up to Reed and says, I know what you're building, pal, and I want in. And Reed agrees. Later, we see the two of them hard at work on something. Reed notices that Johnny's using a welding torch and not his powers. Johnny points out that Reed hasn't been using his stretching powers, and then they laugh. It's all just like old times. Clearly, they are rebuilding the original rocket. We see the rest of the family in the kitchen having breakfast. We see some cats linger, lingering around. You know, now that I think about it, you don't often see too many superheroes with pets, other than the Wonder Twins. So Reed comes in and tells everyone that his secret project is done. They head into the lab, and surprise, surprise, he has recreated the original rocket. Of course, I guess that seemed obvious from earlier in the story when they called that first rocket Marvel 1. This new rocket, Reed calls Marvel 2. He wants to recreate the original mission. Valeria points out that they have other ships that could travel faster with more comfort. Both kids say they're out, which is actually surprising, but I'm not arguing with that. Reed says, Figured as much. The Lafayette said you could sleep over. Who are the Lafayettes? And why are they putting their lives in danger to babysit these two kids? It would actually be safer to just leave the two kids home alone. Ben looks at the rocket and says, You are out of your friggin' minds. If Reed and Johnny feel nostalgic about the original trip, I can imagine that rock monster, the thing, does not. He points out the obvious fact that the previous trip was a disaster. But Reed points out that the shields on this ship are ten times as strong. Sue says, sympathetically to Ben, It's alright. No need for you to do anything you don't feel like doing. And no one will think any less of you. Well, this is a far cry from what Sue said in the first issue, where she said, Ben, we've got to take that chance. Unless we want the commies to beat us to it. I, I never thought that you would be a coward. So yeah, she's mellowed out a little since then. Still, Ben takes Alicia and he storms out of the room, wanting nothing to do with this trip. Later in the kitchen, with Ben and Alicia, he says, What's next? They gonna rebuild the Hindenburg? Or the Titanic? Actually, they are rebuilding the Titanic. But it's a lot safer, 
since there's a lot less icebergs to worry about. Alicia suggests that Ben go down and say goodbye to them before they leave. He pulls the cockpit up on the monitor and he sees that he's been replaced in the pilot seat by, no, not Duke, not Sandy, but by the most embarrassing thing that could happen to any member of the Fantastic Four. He's been replaced by Herbie the Robot. Next thing you know, he's putting on a spacesuit and heading over to the rocket. You know, I find it odd that they built this ship and are immediately leaving. There's no testing, no quality assurance. Nope, it's done. Let's go. Alicia gives Ben a lunchbox and kisses him goodbye. So Ben gets on the ship and he finds that the Herbie he saw on the monitor was just an empty shell. He's been tricked, but he still stays. Reed shows him that he has a special extra large pilot seat made, made for him and they take their seats and they blast off. In the last panel, we see the people on the street reacting as a full-on rocket goes blasting off from a four-story Brooklyn brownstone. Apparently, that's okay. $30 pizzas from Domino's is an outrage, but people launching rocket ships from residential neighborhoods, that's perfectly fine. And that's the end of the story to be continued. So here's a brief recap of my thoughts on the issue. With three things I liked about the issue and three things I did not. First of all, the things that I liked. Number one, I liked the art. If Paco Medina is now the regular artist, that's a vast improvement over the first year of volume uh, six. Also, the cover by Mike Diodato Jr. is so much better than the atrocious covers of Isad Ribic. The cover in issue 13 was especially bad, so... The change here in cover artist isn't especially surprising. I like the fact that Franklin and Valeria are hardly in this issue. That's number two. And finally, number three, it's fun to see them donating the original rocket to the Air and Space Museum. If superheroes existed in the real world, I'm sure artifacts like that would make good museum pieces. And now the three things I don't like. Number one, the premise of the story is silly. Recreating the original planned voyage after all they've been through over the years, this seems like a very lame adventure. Number two, I don't like retconning. Going back and changing details of the origin, adding the Sandy and Duke character, I don't like it. Retcons always make me nervous. I haven't seen any spoilers, so I have no idea where this is going, but I'd rather they just leave the past alone, especially the work of Lee and Kirby. And number three, them launching that massive rocket from a uh, Brooklyn brownstone. That may be one of the stupidest pages I've ever seen. And so in total, another meh issue. On a scale of one to four, I give it a 2.5. Hi, welcome to episode 649, part two of the Fantastic Forecast. On every episode of the Fantastic Forecast, I'll be talking about a different issue of Future Foundation, starting with issue one and going all the way until issue five. On this episode, it's Future Foundation number two, released in September 2019. Story by Jeremy Whitley, pencils by Will Robson, and once again, this issue was scripted by no one. Jeremy Whitley isn't the writer, he only came up with the story, so who scripted this, I don't know. 
So we get the parallel origins of the real Reed Richards and the evil Reed Richards that we saw last issue. Good Reed was a top student encouraged by his father. Later he got superpowers, created the Fantastic Four, got married to Sue, had two kids, even though they really only had one. Valeria just kind of showed up one day. And he created the Future Foundation. Evil Reed, on the other hand, had an abusive, hateful father. They became the Fantastic Four. But Sue turned down his marriage proposal. And then later, when Reed tried to take over the world, Sue stopped him and Johnny burnt up his face, giving him that big scar. And then he went on to create a race of super-evolved humans called the Children of Tomorrow. And that leads us to that Secret Wars 3 series a few years ago, where Evil Reed was killed by Doctor Doom, and when Franklin and Molecule Man created these new universes, a piece of this Evil Reed was left everywhere, becoming a being with a thousand bodies and one mind, connected across realities. This is why Molecule Man was destroyed, or so it says. It does, none of this makes any sense to me. And so on the prison planet of Largath 5, Alex Powers has encountered the evil Reed, who introduces the rest of his group of four baddies, former Shire Warbird Alti Vidua, a Massian Cronian barbarian known as Phyllis, and Kilrath of the Canaras. Oh, Jesus. For some reason, Alex doesn't, doesn't seem to realize that this isn't the real Reed Richards that he's come to rescue. So Julie Power and the other woman that she rescued earlier are in the property room loading some boxes. Julie says they need to change, and her costume, which she says is made of unstable molecules, immediately changes shape into something else. Wait a minute. That's not how unstable molecules work. It's not like it's Spider-Man's Venom black costume that can just look like whatever you want it to. So the other muscular woman says that she can't change so fast and needs some privacy. So Julie heads out and she goes beats up some prison guards. But then she gets overwhelmed. They're about to put a power dampening collar on her when a Captain America type shield flies in and cracks apart the device. We see that the shield was thrown by a Rebecca Barnes, a girl without a universe. She kind of looks like Bucky Barnes. Call her Ricky with one eye, uh, with two eyes, I guess. She, res she rescues a grateful Julie who was impressed by Ricky's costume. So she says, the lesbian energy in this issue is off the charts, which frankly is the only interesting thing about this crappy book. Back with Alex, he sees Reed's friends causing all kinds of havoc, including killing some of the other prisoners. This idiot is like, these don't seem like the kind of friends that Reed Richards would have. And it's still not sinking in with Yondu or Dragon Man either, who's supposed to be very smart, that this isn't the real Reed Richards. At one point, one of Reed's friends mentioned something about claiming their new empire, which I don't think Alex or anyone else hears. Next, we see Julie and Nikki making it through the prison, seeing a bunch of mayhem and death as the prisoners fight with the guards. They end up at a hole in the floor filled with water. The two Future Foundation water breathers, Vil and Wu, pop up and implore the girls to follow them. Later on the ship, Bentley seems excited to have this Reed and his pals as part of the Future Foundation. Everyone else, not so much. Finally, 
Anomi is the first to voice her suspicions that this is not the real Reed Richards, who by the way looks absolutely nothing like Reed Richards. If they weren't telling us that it was supposed to be another version of Reed, I would never in a million years think that's who it's supposed to be, because the art, ugh. Back outside, Julie, Nikki, Vil, and Wu emerge from the water, and they start getting chased by these nano-swarm of five million miniature robot drones. Julie picks everyone up and flies away from the swarm, and then back on the ship, the evil Reed and his gang finally reveal their plans to take over the Future Foundation ship. Dragon Man yells out, Future Foundation, go! As the fighting starts breaking out all over the ship. Just then, Julie and the other three arrive on the ship, and Reed screams out, Kill the children at once! But this female Bucky lady, Nikki, has other ideas. She aims a gun at the evil Reed and says that he tried to kill her and shows a wound on her upper chest. And she looks not very happy at Reed. And that is the end of the issue. What a dreadful book. Who is this book for? Children? Adults? Lesbians? I don't think it's going to appeal to anybody. And considering it was canceled almost immediately, it didn't. So that's the end of this episode. If you have any questions about the National Air and Space Museum, about this podcast, or if you need relationship advice, you can email me at podcastff at gmail.com. You can download other episodes at iTunes or Apple Podcast. Is that what they call it? I don't know. www.podcastff.podbean.com is where you can find other episodes. So long, kids. This podcast is over. I'm bored, that's how it started Half high and half departed I pretend I'm broken hearted Head deep inside myself Cross-eyed, I'm 2020. Hindsight, I'm never sunny More I think, the less is funny Real or fake, still can